Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people and direct to consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So we're back. <laughs> we're a little late, but we're back. This is series one of 2022, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with a select group of brands from across the D2C ecosystem to unpack how they're navigating what is turning out to be a pretty interesting and challenging consumer landscape. Before we get into it, I got a question for you. If you're buying something online, do you check the reviews? Of course you do, we all do. But what if the reviews are fake? That's exactly what happened to Toma Target in 2011 when he bought a camera based on shoddy reviews. He got stitched up with a bad product, so decided to do something about it. Launching Yotpo, our exclusive partner for this series. Yotpo makes it easy to get verified reviews from your customers and then display it on your e-commerce site and in your marketing, like social media ads. 10 reviews can uplift conversion by 53%, but 100 can more than double that. Yeah, that's big numbers. So if you're in e-commerce and want more customers, check out yotpo.com. That's yotpo.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey folks, uh, welcome to Your Basket is Empty. On this episode, I'm speaking with Chris Garson, co-founder of Pit Viper. We're going to touch on why 90s culture is still relevant today, celebrity endorsements, attracting the wrong customer, running a serious business, but not taking yourself too seriously, and a whole bunch more. So Chris, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you and where are you? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm actually sitting in my backyard right now in Salt Lake City. Uh, we were just sort of chatting. I just got back from a trip with my wife and our 11-month-old in Italy and trying to actually get some rest and relaxation after a, <laughs> a trip oh, with no, a After the trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well, there's probably a whole podcast on... Uh, uh, tips and strategies of how to rest after the rest, but um, we'll save that for for another conversation. I'm always keen to go back a little bit in time with these. So, can you take me back to like 2012? And was there a key moment when you decided to do this, or was it an organic process? Talk me through kind of those early stages. And we, I, the beginning of Pit Viper is a very unique story because. Chuck, my business partner and founder of Pit Viper, had found these military surplus sunglasses that he thought was just like the coolest thing ever. They were manufactured in the 90s and he found them at a, you know, like a military thrift store. Yeah. And he started trading them uh, for rides from Salt Lake City up to Snowbird or Alta for skiing uh, or, you know, a beer at the bar after um and started kind of like building this following he then started calling these sunglasses pit vipers and we were hanging out that summer he started spray painting them in my garage and we had just had that relationship of like always kind of wheeling and dealing and wanting yep. to you know start a company and he you know he had this product i had kind of the a business entrepreneurship mindset and I could build a website. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it was ever really like super intentional that we were going into the eyewear industry. It was just intentional that we wanted to start a company and we were looking for the right product. He, the sunglasses that he found spoke to him. He started painting them. We thought they were just like the coolest thing ever. And we just started pouring our our personalities into it. And yeah, that's basically the long and short of 
how Pit Viper was founded. Nice. Uh, that's a super interesting backstory. I love it. I love the bartering concept as like the, yeah. the genesis of the brand. It was I'm, hilarious. I mean, to the point where he like had his phone number on a Facebook page and that's how he was selling him at first. So, <laughs> I was nice. the one that came in and was like, let's start a Shopify store. Nice. Nice. Okay. Yes. Lovely. So I'm, I'm curious then like sort of during that early period, and this is like a common theme um, for any kind of founder story, but like, were you guys doing something else to make money and this was kind of a side thing or did you just go straight into it? Like, tell me about that kind of inflection point if there was one where you're like, okay, this is a real thing. We're going to like, we're going to go straight into it or go fully into it. Yeah. I mean, Chuck was working uh, full-time at a ski shop uh, here in Salt Lake. I was kind of doing anything under the sun I could figure out to make money. I was running a sticker company uh, that was making like die cut decals for uh, ski and Mm -hmm. snowboard companies. And that was actually how we ended up putting logos on the lenses for the first time was because I had this sticker machine right there. So we started cutting out this logo and slapping them on the lenses. But uh, yeah, we were just making ends meet really. Uh, Chuck was living uh, very minimally. He, uh, before, before van life was a thing, he was living in his van <laughs> in my driveway yes. and, and yeah, I was just like trying to, you know, make a website for, you know, a friend here and there, or, uh, I was coaching gymnastics is, you know, anything to make ends meet. Nice. Nice. Okay. Sounds like the entrepreneurial spirit is baked deep within the brand. Yeah, I'd say so. Nice. So I- I'm curious then. So it sounds like the origins of the brand abate into like the eighties and nineties because of the actual physical product was harked back to that day. But I'm curious, like, cause you know, nineties aesthetic is, is cool now, but it wasn't necessarily back in 2012. So what was it about that, that you kind of like thought was going to be relevant then and how relevant do you think it is now? Well, yeah, we've certainly, hit a trend here in the most recent years but uh back then honestly we were we did what we liked we were you know born in the 80s grew up in the 90s uh it was uh kind of that nostalgia spoke to us and Mm -hmm. it might have been why the product originally spoke to us too uh but you know it's the music that we were listening to and the uh you know TV shows that we grew up with and it was just everything came together um, that it just made sense for us. Like when researching the product and figuring out, you know, these were originally manufactured in, you know, 1995. uh, And then Chuck's splatter painting these sunglasses that kind of remind us of Saved by the Bell and those colors <laughs> and then he starts calling it the 1993 yeah. that's our most popular colorway it just nice. everything just kind of clicked and it just it felt like the right move so it wasn't i wouldn't say it was super intentional that we saw like a trend coming yeah it was just the kind of stuff that spoke to us and uh what resonated with us and we just focused on if we like it then someone else out there will too yeah yeah well yeah there's a big uh, myself i'm literally the same sort of like era 
uh, it, I definitely see that. And there's a big cohort of millennials who probably think the same way. I'm pretty sure. And I want to talk more about 90s pop culture towards the end of the uh, discussion. But you guys, there was a reference to like weird science recently on your Instagram page or something like that. The movie, I'm sure. And I was like, fuck, I have not heard weird science in like 25 Dude. years, man. It was, it was, it was the biggest blast too? of nostalgia, man. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> crazy i yeah we uh we started hiding little uh easter eggs of like uh you know you would call it like a serial number on a product but ours are just like basically vanity license plates uh and so if you like really read into it you can find it but you know we hide like jonathan taylor thomas yeah and It's uh, talking about tool time and, nice. you know, it's, I, I, I don't know. We, it's just, uh, oftentimes it's just fun to remember those like unique movies that we look back on. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen Breakin? It's, Breaking. it was a, I'll have break to watch it. In, not breaking, break in, like break. Break in, in like I N apostrophe break in, like. <sighs> It's a, it's all about, it's all about breakdancing and <laughs> it's, but nice. I think it was made in the late eighties and nice. it's like one breakdance crew is battling another breakdance nice. crew yeah. for like their turf and oh, very inspirational for the uh, pit viper aesthetic. Nice. Nice. Well, that leads me on to, uh, continuation of the kind of like the aesthetic but the the site that you've got at the moment is, is a real hit of nostalgia windows 95 nostalgia which i think is sick and it totally fits with brand i'm curious though <laughs> how did it go I, I think you guys work with an agency but like how did that go with like uh brand type people who are maybe not as into that aesthetic and obviously it probably maybe uh goes against some of the more conventional ddc like um design and ux kind of like theories and strategies at this time so i'm curious how did that kind of go down and did you have to have any sort of like arguments with ux people in order to get the thing through sure uh so first to claim up until that point i had developed our website single-handedly uh but it kind of sucked and like we i was always playing around with like adding goofy little gifs or something at the top of yeah. the page and yeah. trying to like bring in that 90s aesthetic um we do work with an agency bv uh bva or recently they were bought by a stable um and you know they they brought a handful of like very uh common designs to us at first and you know these are like generally accepted you know design principles for e-commerce uh mm -hmm. stores um these days and they showed us like this is your first option this is your second option and then and then we came up with this crazy one that we don't know it we went fully windows 95 yep. like, yeah that one because, and i think the reasoning behind it was one, it was exciting to us. And, you know, like the moment, the moment I get excited about something, I just got to tap into that because that's going to get someone else excited. Um, 
but also it seemed like, you know, this fun possibility to express our brand and like get people to notice the website in a way where they won't even talk about the product. They just say, oh, you have to go mm -hmm. to the Pit Viper website, mm -hmm. like check mm -hmm. out. They did this full Windows 95 aesthetic and they, you know, they nailed it. Um, so actually, like, you know, as far as the brand people behind it, uh, the help that we had at our agency, they, they were fully supportive of it. Uh, definitely, I think it's taken several, like, redesigns and work to uh, bring it into a, uh, you know, like skirt that line between like nailing the uh, Windows aesthetic and also being like a very functional e-commerce website. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And we've learned that the hard way. Um, like, you know, developing better like buy buttons or, you know, the product page <laughs> was kind of a mess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm, super proud of it i think uh it you know it nails it uh and i'm always going to want to change the website yeah. I, I the moment it's done i'm sick of it and I, yeah I yeah yeah you know yeah, redevelop yeah. it so of that's course. where we're at yeah and of course that that's like a common thing right that's your world you see it every day so like as soon as anything's live mm -hmm. you want to kind of iterate on it i'm curious though what what is like your kind of customer look like and has it like changed over time or have you got like this kind of core group that have kind of been there through the ride? Yeah. I'm keen to understand about the customer sort of journey. Yeah. Um, so it, sometimes it's hard for me to define the customer because um, we have such like a, a wide interest group uh, that we've appealed to um, uh, definitely at first, like it, Chuck and I are both skiers. Uh, we, you know, that's how, that was the basis of our friendship. Uh, he was a professional skier for a little bit. I was coaching pro skiers. Um, you know, we live in Salt Lake because we have access to the mountains. So, uh, you know, Alta, our home mountain, uh, the people there really grabbed onto the brand uh, mm -hmm. immediately. And it started spreading in ski culture first. And that was really the backbone uh, that like gave us the foundation to build the brand. Um, so it began with skiers. I think it moved on uh, to cyclists uh, quite naturally. Um, and then, you know, we have this like fun, irreverent kind of uh, attitude. I think it was natural to go to like the, the party scene, like spring break, you know, whatever beach in florida mm -hmm. you know um and that's where i think once we really started hitting that it, the demographics are very diverse mm -hmm. uh so it's again yeah kind of hard for me to nail exactly who our customer is yeah we try to but we we like to think they're uh sport focused uh appreciate the functionality of our product mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. and the wild styling to set them apart from their friends there yeah usually just all wearing black and <laughs> trying to fit into the crowd the normies they're, they're normie mates yeah yeah, yeah i get yeah, it yeah. um i'm curious then like uh i suppose with that journey of the customer going from like the loyal 
ski culture, then it goes out to other kind of like peripheral sports and then a more broader demographic. How has your kind of like D to C playbook changed or has it kind of remained the same the whole time? Like the basics of it, what has been some of the learnings over the last, you know, 10 years? Yeah. Well, it's definitely uh, evolved because at first we, well, we didn't have, we bootstrapped the whole company. So we didn't even have money to uh, put into advertising at first. So it had to be organic. And for a while, actually, we kind of were of the opinion that we didn't want to advertise because that would be inauthentic for how people should find our brand. And if if people that knew our brand saw us advertising, they wouldn't like it as much. Um, obviously, we had to grow past that. Um, but yeah, the first few years, it was purely organic. Uh, then we started you know, developing our advertising strategy on mostly Facebook and Instagram. Um, and yeah, from then, it's definitely developed into a strategy of, you know, I think our like upper funnel is events and um, key athletes uh, and personalities that we think really represent the brand well, or we were just really excited to have a part of, you know, Pit Viper. Um, and then, yeah, like lowering into that funnel is definitely our uh, Instagram and Facebook ad strategy. We actually started, you know, kind of doing really well on Snapchat and testing out a lot of different other, um, yeah, other social medias. Uh, but we're surely I I want uh, advertising that I can track the analytics on. Yeah. So <laughs> physical advertising, I really don't care about. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's all about ROAS for me. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah then get them onto the website and hopefully they appreciate the experience all the way through because that's what we're focused on. We want to deliver like just kind of like fun, uh, a, f a fun and interesting site. That's like not only exciting to find, but exciting to explore. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you're going to find a lot of Easter eggs and uh, you know, stuff to show your friends farther down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely get that. There is like, it feels like a, um, not a super like content strategic site, but you find yourself meandering away through because it's like got the aesthetic, but then there's like, yeah, there's little bits and pieces that are not what you see on other direct consumer sites. It's definitely a unique place to be. And I can see how like a consumer ends up spending time on there, which is, which is what you want, right? Yeah. I would say that by far uh, you, you nailed it. We are, we're not extremely strategic. We are pretty meandering uh, with our style, but we allow that because, you know, if it's fun and interests us, then again, we want to put it out there in some way. Yeah. I want to get onto the bit that we kind of mentioned at the start about like not taking yourselves too seriously and that, like how that works but I, i'm keen to just touch on something that you mentioned there and that's like the um uh i don't know how you refer to them ambassadors or partners but how did the gronk thing kind of come about like i'm assuming how yeah how did that come about you to them they to you i'm really intrigued it it was mostly i again kind of organic i it, 
it was uh, connected through his brothers. Is uh, really like we're it's the whole Gronkowski family. Those guys are fantastic. They have a million things going on. Uh, but Chris Gronkowski has a uh, company called uh, Ice Shaker, and you know he reached out or we reached out to him. I, I wasn't a part of the original conversation, but we traded uh, product and started talking to him. And then lo and behold, like. He met up with his brother, Rob, and then Rob got a pair of our sunglasses. And then suddenly he posted <laughs> a photo on Instagram. We're like, wow, this oh. is insane. <laughs> and we connected and, you know, we, we invited him out here for a ski trip and kind of like launched the uh, relationship that way. And Chuck and I got to go skiing with all of the Gronkowskis, which was uh, yeah. I saw the video. Yeah, <laughs> I recommend people go and check out the YouTube. I had no idea. So I'm 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 originally from Australia, and like I'm into sports. So I, by virtue of being into sport, you know about NFL, right? So I know who he is. I had no idea he had loads of brothers. So that that video, the, it was very informative, both yep. from like learning about the Gronkowski family, but it's also a good video just to watch because it's entertaining. Yeah, totally. And his dad, his dad. Yeah. Is- great people too uh but yeah that's that's how it came about and i'd say uh, i mean you know we also you know work with travis pastrana uh we've got kind of a pretty deep bench of people that have been attracted to the brand just kind of from i guess our attitude or aesthetic and um it's all been like this really nice like organic um kind of meet get to know each other decide to work together and move forward uh it's never been like we go out and pitch to whatever influencer um and i highly recommend that as a way to you know find your brand representatives because it it feels really natural to work with these guys now and they you know are fantastic brand representatives yeah, it's an interesting concept. I was going to ask you that question of what your advice to other people would be because I don't know, it feels like peak influencer has been and gone, right? Like that was maybe mm-hmm. five years ago. And then micro influencer was like the next thing because all the big ones are too expensive and no one could afford them. And now so it's it all feels about like, nano now. Yeah. <laughs> nano, nano yeah. How much money? <laughs> and then we've got to go to the CERN accelerator in Geneva to find the next one because it's so fucking small. But like, yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I I feel that that has always been some good advice, right, for a brand is try and find somebody that like there is a mutual kind of, val- well, I don't know, you get into the values thing too much because ultimately it still is a commercial endeavor, but it, there's got to be some sort of thing there that makes it organic because I don't know, consumers are pretty like on the ball now, definitely. They get it. If it's just like someone trying to flog something that has been paid to do it, are they really going to buy it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I and we're we're in a lucky position where like we have a very you know loud brand. It's very obvious that you're wearing our sunglasses when you are, and you know when we decide to like reach out to someone because they posted a hilarious video on uh, you know their account, and you know we send them a direct message that just says. Hey, send us your address. You you need some sunglasses. Like, just <laughs> have these. See if you like them. Yeah, then yeah. you know if if they're you, then let's talk. Uh, and 
I, I highly recommend people that are you know going out there and trying to find uh, brand representatives to try to find their style for doing that because you know, having someone that is you know you can pay anyone it, it sometimes gets very expensive to represent your brand but if you find that right person that is a natural fit and it, it's not forced then everything is going to work together and that authenticity which is often hard to find these days will, will you know be apparent yeah totally yeah i think um it'll definitely shine through so i want to touch on the kind of like i suppose more of a, a cultural question but it, i mean it generally sparked from just you know knowing the brand and seeing what you guys are about it was very obvious to me that you don't take yourself too seriously but it was made even more apparent to me i think it was your kickstarter infomercial and it like just i'm a big tim and eric fan and it was just like it was a massive like tim and eric vibes for me and i was like okay yeah but I, i'm curious like um how like how do you find the balance between that like between not taking yourself too seriously but obviously this is something you're really passionate about and you guys want to make a success of it and however you define success but like you know it being a thing that you continue on and a legacy and all that sort of stuff. Like how do you find the balance between those two things? And do you find that there are ever any challenges trying to find that balance? God, yeah. I I guess certainly. Um, you get Chuck and I in a room and sometimes it's hard for us to do a, a lick of work because we end up just sitting there and, you know, going down rabbit holes and joking and showing each other YouTube videos, Tim and Eric videos for sure. Um <laughs> But I think eventually we've gotten to a good cadence where we we're effective and we're uh, you know we built a company that is incredible. The people that we have uh, they crush it, and it's been uh, a strategy of ours to hire friends, hire friends of friends, and really focus on you know, keeping a fun company culture. And it, sometimes that's hard to do. Um, and sometimes you sacrifice some efficiency uh, with your work. But really what we found is like with our people, um, they're incredibly effective. And oftentimes they are very funny too. And uh, <laughs> I I don't know. It, it it's definitely been hard, but it's uh sometimes you just have to like insert that slide into your presentation that is purely a joke and it has no point in being in the presentation whatsoever, but you're just trying to get a laugh out of your friends that you're giving this to. And it it's yeah, it's all come together. I, again, I you know, particularly in the last couple of years, I have to give it to uh, the Pit Viper employees, like our president, Dave, our, uh, you know, um, what is his title now? Uh, VP of brand, Spencer, mm -hmm. um, and so many countless others that just uh, down to like, even just like our shipping crew that are fun characters to hang around. And um you know, we've got great people that kind of live this brand and that keeps it alive uh, for the customers that come find us. Um, 
So speaking of customers that can find you, uh, we talked about it just before we jumped on air here, but I want to touch on just briefly, you guys had a bit of a interesting um, customer thing. <laughs> so unsavory customer, unsavory customer thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the, like the, the most intelligent way to, to, to put it is, but the, 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 the alt-right, and I assume maybe it was only in North America, but elsewhere, whatever had kind of adopted you, you guys and, and, and the glasses. So I'm just curious, like how, how did you think about it? How is that managed? What is like a really unique branding, you know, thing. Cause it's like, what's the adage? Like, there's no there's no such thing as bad publicity but i'm assuming in this case then then there is right so yeah kind of talk me through that and like you know how you manage it and where is it at now all that sort of stuff yeah um we were definitely caught by blindsided uh i think that you know part of what i've mentioned before you know it's a very loud brand you you know when you're wearing our sunglasses uh, which has been a great thing for us for a very long time, but then suddenly they end up on faces of people that you do not agree with, uh, or you know they're out there preaching hate, really, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that is the farthest thing from the take ourselves less seriously, let's all have a good time kind of attitude that we've yeah. tried to be putting out there. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, I think I, whether or not they were like really adopted, uh, they were definitely worn uh, by people that we did not agree with. Yep. And it's a difficult problem to face. And uh, it was definitely a lot of internal uh, turmoil and discussions uh, with our people at Pit Viper. Uh, really, where we ended up, I really love, which was... Um, donating to organizations uh, that are basically directly fighting uh, whatever the uh, that person is preaching against. Uh, I didn't say that very well, but I think you get the idea. Uh, So, you know, whether it's for, uh, you know, uh, supporting, um, you know, racial equity or, uh, you know, basically anything that we can to uh promote like just a like having a better time having a good time taking each other uh at face value uh and like <laughs> i'm stumbling on this question a no bit. that's fine that's uh, fine no i get it because i mean the, the way it must have been tough man i imagine like inside internally there there may have been a thought of like because to some degree i think the whole alt right right <laughs> we empower them by by giving them the platform you know like if you if we if everyone ignored them then they'd probably go away right but unfortunately mm. because what they say the rhetoric is so you know um it sparks such you know like a, a deep disgust in the other the other side you know obviously there's loads of people that support them like so i imagine there may have been something internally where you're like oh well let's just ignore because if we're, we're by by getting into it we're fueling it but i think the sort of getting into it, which you probably had to do because that was, you couldn't ignore it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. then basically turning it on their heads is, is it, is it sounds like a very wise strategy, yeah. right? Like that, I mean, what else are you going to do? Right. Cause you can't physically go to every single person on the alt right and say, all right, well, we're confiscating them back. You know, you don't represent our brand. You can't have them. That's, that's impossible. Right. 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess it, it, it may have been inevitable for it to happen eventually. And what I am super proud of is our strategy of just flipping it on the alt-right and saying, okay, well, if you are going to buy our sunglasses, then the money that you gave us, we are going to yeah. uh, give to a cause uh, that is actively fighting against the hate that you're preaching. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think that that uh, speaks for our brand, speaks for our values. Um, and also, yeah, I think uh, we've heard from a lot of our, uh, you know, friends, followers, family that, you know, they really appreciate, uh, you know, how we approached that specific problem. Well, I think that that, that's a really good litmus test because that's not an internal thing. That's like your ultimate customer, right? And if they think that what you've done is a good thing, then I think that that is a good litmus test for the the decision-making. It would be remiss of me not to just touch on again, not to dwell, but the kind of wider macro environment right now. <laughs> I'm seeing, I'm very curious to get your take on it because I'm fucking stumped, man. Like everywhere I turn is a different story. If I turn on the news, it's quite apocalyptic. Then when I speak mm. to people on the ground, not to say that it's people aren't worried or there's this sentiment of of challenge out there but it's it can be very different and a lot of people are seeing loads of opportunities and stuff so i'm really keen to get your take on it like what are you seeing are you seeing any major consumer behavioral trends or or is it kind of bau and you know things are just kind of cruising along yeah i think um i think we're coming off of a sugar high from uh 2022 or 2021 um Definitely, the for us, uh, for our brand, it was a crazy year of growth. Um, also, difficulty getting enough product in the door from our suppliers, uh, and that's a story that you've heard over and over again. Uh, I think that you know maybe it was inevitable uh, for us to see a little bit of a slowdown this year. I think that you know we are seeing a little slower pace. Um, and it's hard to say where that's coming from. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm an economics nerd, a business nerd in general. So nice. I, nice. I follow this stuff, uh, you know, every day and yep. I may just be as confused as you are, as your listeners are. But, um, yeah, I think uh, basically I think we're coming off a of sugar high. I think that there's going to be a little bit of a correction, but that it's not going to be too painful because there's, you know, everybody's getting jobs right now. There's, yep. you know, strength in, you know, consumer buying habits. Um, I, that's, that's my call. That's my forecast. Nice. It's nice. going to be okay. I, it's okay. All right. Okay. okay. That's it. Podcast over everyone. It's fine. Um, <laughs> No, I, th- I think it, I think that that's that's that that's sage advice. I reckon an interesting point you make there is that the sugar high. So everything's relative, right? So are we comparing all of the sort of apocalypticness <laughs> to last year? Because if so, we were on a sugar high. So we should really be comparing it to like 2018 to 2019, right? And I think if you took out the sort of like spike of COVID, things probably were just 
kind of either flat or cruising up, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think like, mm. I mean, all the fucking tech companies that hired loads of people and like were just burning cash feels like that wasn't yeah. a great, <laughs> you know what I mean? It feels like you would feel that pain or someone's going to feel that pain at some point anyway. That was, that's a different world altogether. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think things will be okay. And hopefully it's just a bit of a softer landing than maybe some of the predictions. Um, I'm keen to continue the sort of like trend forecast forward slightly, but like what, what, what does Pip Viper look like in like three years time? What's next for you guys? Oh, it's very exciting. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we hit this trend line um, and it, 90s aren't going to be popular forever. Uh, we we may love them forever, but the, it's not going to be like the biggest fad, um, yeah. you know, forever. We, we have uh, no doubt in our mind that it's going to change. Uh, we are working actively on, you know, developing our product and becoming, you know, this uh, more of like a fully grown up sunglasses company. And we have... Um, man, a lot of stuff in the works. Uh, we've built out a you know awesome product team and these guys are coming out with, uh, yeah, I've worn these sunglasses for the past 10 years straight. They're on my face right now, nice. uh, as you can see. And yeah. it's going to be a while because I finally get to wear a different pair of sunglasses nice. maybe next year. And, okay. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I think it's it's going to be cool. It's going to bring in our goal is to like encourage our existing customers to come back, try something new, but also appeal to you know a wider customer base with um, you know different models of sunglasses. Nice. Um, and I suppose a couple of final questions, but like what would be the best piece of advice you would give to somebody starting out on a similar journey that you and Chuck embarked on 10 years ago? Is there any key things that you would say to them that could help them? Hmm. I sometimes feel like a broken record when I talk about this, but um, you have to make sure that what you are selling, you would buy yourself. And if you aren't your own customer, then you're never going to be able to grow an entire company um, based off of something that you wouldn't buy yourself. Like, mm -hmm. speak to yourself first. Do do the thing that you like, that you think is fun, you think is interesting, that you think is funny. And someone else will think it's funny too. Yeah, yeah. And that's all we've done is trying to be, you know, be ourselves, be these like funny, weird, sometimes awkward people <laughs> that really like Tim and Eric and Always Sunny and we're going <laughs> to reference those jokes all the time. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, it's, yeah. It's done wonders for us. I think that's sage advice. Yeah, be authentic. I think that that concept of like being your own customer is an interesting one. You're not the first person that I've I've met within the DDC world who's like suggested that as, as a good place to start. Um, right, final question. I was going to do like ask you what your favorite 90s cultural icon is. So I want to find out 
what that is, but I'm also going to give you a multiple choice because I, I want, I was excited to write down some and I want to find out of these three, who's your favorite. And then you can give me yours on top of that. So of these three, who's your favorite nineties cultural icon, Paulie Shaw, Corey Feltman or Doogie Howser MD. Uh, it's got to be. That's hard. Polly Shore. It's got to be Polly Shore. I, I, I think mean, that's a that's a wise choice. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm trying to remember if it's Corey Feldman. Is it Corey Feldman? I don't think it is. I, I, again, I'm going to reference another. Uh, I'm better at movies than specific characters. That's okay. Well, th- so, I want to get your take as well because that was my sort of like who's of these. Uh, of course, there'd be many. As you, you can give me somebody on top of that. I'll give you a laundry list of movies to watch. So how about that? Okay, like, let's do that. Let's like, do that. Oh, we already went with Breaking. Breaking Breakin yep. Two is amazing. <laughs> Breaking Two. There, there's a there's a follow up that's basically the same movie, but it's on skateboards called Thrashing. Nice, uh, nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, and then the the wildest trip of a movie uh, is probably Prayer of the Roller Boys. Prayer and of the Roller Boys. Prayer of the Roller Boys. Has, is hilarious in how bad it is. <laughs> it's a, a rollerblading gang, and then it gets really dark because they, they're into some unsavory stuff. So, but wow. I'll let I'll let you and your listeners go ahead and explore that for yourselves. But yeah, I, I you know I'm, I'm terrible with like uh, people or like specific icons, but yeah, those those movies. Highly All right. Okay. I think there's some great suggestions. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, happy to be here, Tim. Thanks for having me. There you go. Massive thank you for joining us. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. With last, your-